Welcome to the Who Needs Instructions podcast, the podcast that wants to get men talking. As a football player, you're in that football bubble and you get spoiled, you get things done for you, left, right and centre. Yeah, you have to give up so much. Physically, it's demanding. Mentally, it's demanding. But joining the real world, Matt, God, that was a... That was a wake-up call, because teaching, yeah, it is tough. Welcome along to another edition of the Who Needs Instructions podcast. That is today's guest. His name is Pat Baldwin. Now, Pat used to be a professional footballer. He's now a primary school teacher, a fairly rare transition, and we'll hear how that came about during this episode. Pat also talks about getting rejected from football clubs and the resilience he needed to get him through that, and the vital part his mates played in helping him deal with that. Pat is a father of three and married to the lovely Alex, so we already know that he was a footballer and he's now a teacher. So I started today's episode by asking him, what was your first job? Well, I don't know whether you can call it a first... My first job, really, was being a teacher now, because I don't see being a football player as a job. But yeah, my first, my first, if you're looking at official job, was uh, a football player from the age of... Well, when I left school at 16, I went straight into football um, full-time. That was at Chelsea, Chelsea Football Club. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I was, we know who Chelsea are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, just to verify, you know. Yeah, I was there... <laughs> I was there from a very young age, from about 11, yeah, 16 when I left school. I managed to get um, uh, a scholarship. I think it was in the first kind of case of scholarship. The YTS scheme had just finished. Mm-hmm. So I got a scholarship for three years and got released at the end of that at 19. Um, I managed to stay in football ever since um, until I retired through um, a little bit of a bad knee injury, but more so that, you know, just settling, as you know, Matt, settling down in this amazing area. So I chose to change career um, a little bit earlier than perhaps I should have done. But that was more so that I could kind of settle my family down here in Exeter. So you're now basically a primary school teacher. I am. Yeah. Not. Yeah. I'm a primary school teacher. I qualified probably about four, four years ago now. So I had a year's, years, um, teacher training um, mm-hmm. where I was playing part-time at Weymouth just to kind of financially support me a little bit um, and yeah so I managed to somehow managed to pass as a primary school teacher and have been working at um, a school in Exeter ever since so I've been at the same school for the last yeah this I think this is my fourth fourth year as a qualified teacher yeah okay so I mean the perception from the outside is that footballers finish and they can retire and then they don't have to work again. <laughs> I'm ass- I'm assuming with that little chuckle that's not the case with you then mate. Uh no certainly not. I mean if you are lucky enough and talented enough to play in the premiership um even even you know when I was playing more so now if you're playing a premiership for 5 years you're made for life aren't you but um yeah when you're playing in the low, lower leagues like I did you do earn a decent amount. Don't get me wrong; it's it's probably better than your peers um, at the time. But um, yeah, there's nowhere near enough to retire on. I mean, if you if you're uh, sensible enough with your money and you invest it, then you're gonna it's gonna give you a, a, a good start to the second kind of phase of your life. I guess that's the way I look at mm-hmm. it. Um, when I retired, it, you know, becoming a teacher that's my second phase of life, um, and I was sensible enough to save a bit that I was able to, you know, be unpaid for that teacher training year um, and use savings to get me through that, as well as, like I said, the supplemented wage of playing for Weymouth 
um, that kind of got me through, but certainly not earning enough to kind of retire on. Blimey, I wouldn't I wouldn't be working if I had enough money. I tell you that much. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've had a, a a quick little search of your Wikipedia page. Have you ever looked at yourself on Wikipedia? Do you know what I ha- I have done via kind of my mum or my dad you know, <laughs> thrusting it in front of me. But I haven't done for I haven't done for years, to be honest. I haven't done for years, so I, I dread well, to think what's on there now. It's brilliant because it starts with uh, your full name, your uh, date of birth. It says you are currently an English semi-professional footballer who last played defender for Beer Albion FC. <laughs> so yeah, this is I played I played about two games for my village team and realised that um, I shouldn't because of my body is just completely given up on me. Um, and I obviously, had, as you know, Matt, I had a young family as well, so that I wanted the, you know, my family to take priority rather than a, going off traveling around the local area with a village team. To be honest, no, no disrespect to being Beer Albion, an amazing club. I've got good mates there, go up and support them as much as we can. But um, uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm, I'm not playing week in, week out anymore, that's for sure. And it's, I want to talk to you a bit more about the transition, really, from footballer to not just teacher, but primary school teacher. That that seems unusual to me. Do you know anybody else that's done a similar thing? Um, not personally. I know of a, uh, there is another player who was in a you know same similar level to me. Um, so obviously financially couldn't retire, so needed another career. And I kind of I saw him as a kind of half inspiration, but I was already on the way. To becoming, you know, uh, my, my my vision was always in my second career, um, as I've said to you loads of times before, that um, I decided to go into teaching quite early on, even kind of midway in my football career. And I always thought that, you know, seeing older football mates who have come to retirement and struggling with life and not having much to fall back on, I always thought, you know, that, that's not going to happen to me. So I, I went back to school and did my A-levels at, when I was about 25. I started the journey, um, looked wow. into teacher training, saw what I needed to, what qualifications I needed to get um, at that age and saw that I needed to, cause I, you know, I left school with just GCSEs. There's no way I was going to do A-levels because I had a chance of being a football player. And yeah. What kid of that age is going to be level-headed enough and, and who's going to tell that sort of kid? Well, who, no one was going to tell me that I was, you know, you make sure you get your A-levels. Don't worry about football. And at that age, I was quite, I'll say, pig, pig-headed, I suppose, and determined. And uh, I was just going to give it all I could possibly get to become a professional football player. So um, I needed to go and get A-levels. I needed to get a degree. Uh, and that's what I ended up doing. What's your degree in, Pat? Uh, my de- my degree was in uh, it's in media, funny enough, Matt, um, mm-hmm. and that's why we uh, our paths crossed in Exeter. That I was doing a, a degree in um, sports writing and broadcasting, so it was all about radio work, television work, um, newspaper writing, writing reports for football uh, football games, writing you know uh, uh, the column that I did in the East Anglia Gazette. That was all um, East is it East, not East Anglia Gazette because that's Colchester. I was going to say, that's not news. Was it Western <laughs> Morning News? It was, yes, it, it was. Yeah, yes, yeah, it yeah. was. <laughs> it was that long ago. It's a good so, journalist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it meant a lot to me, that. <laughs> no, it generally did. They, they gave me a great opportunity. I'm joking now. Mm. It's just my memory's terrible. Um, so, yeah, so it just involved all of that. Um, but it was always, it was never kind of, as much as I enjoyed the degree, 
and loved the media work. And if I had an opportunity, I'd have loved to have gone in that full time. But being a kind of lower league football player, I was, the opportunities were going to be pretty slim. So um, the the end goal was always to become a primary school teacher, to be honest. And yeah, I had that really early on in in, in kind of my career. That's that's quite remarkable. Uh, I mean, you know, let's look at the the typical what how how the outside world look in and see a typical footballer. You know, primary school teacher is not a natural pr- career progression, is it? Let's be honest. But you had you, the you foresight. Say, I mean, you say that, Matt, about it's not a natural progression. Now, if you look at, I guess, yeah, the stereotypical viewpoint of people, of football players, do you know what? It's not far wrong. I've met a lot of football players, and I, and I love most players I've ever played with. Great laugh. But in terms of uh, foresight, thinking of the future, there wasn't many, um, you know, mm. That they are just a kind of um, one-minded uh, kind of pedigree, I guess. Um, they sort of live for the moment, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Live for the moment, thinking they're going to be a football player for the rest of their lives. And obviously that doesn't happen. I've obviously got an amazing support network behind me as well that encouraged me and advised me to go in this direction as well. If you look at the skill sets of football players, what mm. you need um, to be a successful football player to work in a, in a team environment to be successful, you, there's so many transferable skills that you could take into lo, a load of other um, careers, but especially primary school. Um, you know, you, you have to engage with fans when you're a football player and a lot of young fans as well. So you've got experience of, of, of um, working with younger children, you know, all the community work you do as a football player, you come across mm-hmm. young, young, young people. Um, and you're working with the public, so you're working, you know, as a teacher, you're working with the public, with parents and children, um, working within a team, which you do in a school with all the other teachers, your head teacher, you have to work as a team to be successful. So there's loads and loads of transferable skills. It's just, um, like you said, a lot of football players just don't have the foresight, and, and understandably so. It's an amazing life that you lead as a football player, but a lot of them just don't think of the future enough. I know that you're keeping your hand in. You you still do some commentary work, don't you? And and, and it, I mean, without you know asking you to put your neck on the line, if opportunities arose and you know family situations were settled, is there a you know a management role or some kind of uh, you know a consultancy role in football that you'd be interested in? Do you know what my, my my ultimate dream would would have been to stay in football? And I went into the teaching route because I wanted to to have a settled family life. I didn't want to be travelling up and down the country with my family in tow. It's not fair on them. Um, Alex, my wife, as you you've met before, is an incredible woman. She doesn't deserve, or she didn't deserve. You know, she she followed me around with football in my career. Um, sacrificed so much for me and I didn't want her to carry on doing that to be honest so um, I decided to have a stable job which was teaching which is a stable career you know Um, Mm -hmm. so I could have a stable home life but if the opportunity arose and we've spoken about it plenty of times that I would love to get it back into coaching um, whether that is as a manager of a senior team whether it's coaching of of youth teams I don't know but if it meant that I could um, stay locally um, not unsettling my family life, which takes priority over anything, um, then, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to go back into football. But like you said, I've got a young family and I want to dedicate you know, my weekends and all my spare time to them because they deserve it. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, getting our podcast interview together was, uh, you know, I didn't want to <laughs> tread on the toes and make sure, you know, we, so we're doing this quite late on a Wednesday evening. But, you know, yeah, I, appreciate I appreciate it, that. mate. I really do. 
So you've got three boys, haven't you? And uh, and Alex is, uh, you know, you're, I was going to say Alex is the mum to all three of them. Of course she bloody is. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> that would have been weird. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, so yeah, you've, uh, you're, you're married to Alex. You've got three young boys. And, and how? what's the age range of the, of the lads? So Finley's seven. Um, he'll be coming up eight in August. Uh, Nate is four, coming up five in May. And Otis is now approaching, I want to say, nine, ten months. I should really know okay. exactly, shouldn't I? But <laughs> yeah, he's around, he's still a baby, still a baby. And uh, that's what with, uh, and I know a little bit about teaching purely because I used to be married to a teacher. So I, yeah. you know, I understand, you know, we all take the Mickey 13 weeks off a year, easy <laughs> life. Um, I know that you need those that time off just yeah. to kind of recuperate because, boy, is it a schedule? You guys work flipping hard, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it, it is. Um, and, and again, it's similar to football, isn't it? People got a perception of football and their lifestyle and how easy it is and how can they complain um, but it is tough, just as it's tough being a football player. It's also tough being, yeah, really tough being a teacher. Jesus. I think, obviously, <laughs> as a football player, you're in that football bubble and you get spoiled, you get things done for you, left, right and centre. Yeah, you, 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 you have to give up so much. Physically, it's demanding. Mentally, it's demanding. But, blimey, joining the real world, Matt, God, that was a, <laughs> a wake-up call. Because te- <laughs> teaching, yeah, it, it is tough. It is tough, but then... Again, another transferable skill of resilience and determination. Um, you can take that into into teaching, and that's kind of getting you through. But you certainly do need the the holidays to get over. Blimey, the uh, term times, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, you, you know your broadcasting career is coming into its own then, because you've given me a lovely segue there uh, <laughs> into resilience. Now, I remember you just said a minute ago, you know, you were with Chelsea, and then at the end of that apprenticeship. They released you at 19 and you know that's a that's a big thing you're at the, you're at this huge club I know I think you've said to me before you used to room with people like John Terry you know you were you were training with these guys yeah. and then they you get released how how do you deal with that not very easily to be honest um mm-hmm. I think obviously it's got it, yeah there's there's got to be a level of kind of determination in you um, but you can go two ways. Um, I, I had amazing support. You know, I, I was I was with Alex at the time. You know, I met her when I was 18, so I had her and in, her incredible support at the time. And my parents were amazing as well. Um, mates, you know, my, my mates back home, they got me through. I went back. I, I trialed around just that, straight from being released. I went to other clubs trialing, but my heart wasn't in it. I was devastated. So, you know, I was I wasn't really you know I didn't deserve a contract at other clubs at that time. And then during that summer, my mates kind of scooped me up. Um, we're all, they were all of a, an amazing standard. Um, so we were playing six aside, and that's what kind of got me going, got me fit, got me enjoying football again. And, and that determination came from, and resilience came from wanting to prove people wrong. Um, so, and that's, that, I think that's just within somebody, or it's not. You know, It could turn the other way, and it could ruin you. But mm-hmm. um, I think a mixture of luck uh, and just sheer determination – and stubbornness to prove people wrong. I, I kind of uh, was lucky enough to get picked up at, from Colchester. And you had, uh, am I right in saying you got a testimonial at Colchester, which means you played for them for at least 10 years. Is that right? Yeah, I um, well, I was there for just under 10 years in the end because um, you know, one or two things happened. I think they were just desperate to get me off the off the uh, the wage bill at the time. 
<laughs> and so and so I went out alone just before and then we had a discussion that they kind of said, look, it would be best if you were to leave. And they gave me just a little bit of money um, for, for me to go. So I didn't actually get a testimonial, which was really disappointing. I'd love to have had one there. And then they kind of ask you politely to, to, to leave and you kind of don't get a chance to say goodbye to people that you've known for so long. You, you take oh, wow. your stuff out. You take your stuff out in a bin line, all your boots and stuff, because you know they want you out the door and uh, uh, quickly without any kind of fanfare. Which you know I wasn't after that, but I, I, I dedicated a lot of my life, made one or two decisions to stay at the club when I could have left, and then for mm. that to happen, it kind of just leaves a little bit of a bit of taste in your mouth. But that's just the football industry. That's the kind of ugly side of it that a lot of fans don't don't see. You know. <laughs> That's, that's tough though, because so at nineteen you get released by Chelsea, then you give ten years of your life to Colchester, and the, and because of the way that ended, it left a bitter tasty mouth. Um, you've then moved to local rivals, I understand. Yeah, I went I went to Southend. I mean, you know that bitter taste. It's not going to last long. You understand the industry. You know, I'm I'm um, you know big enough and ugly enough to to know how it works. That sort of thing happens. So you move on very quickly in football. And if you're lucky enough, you get, you know, you go to a club straight away, which I had one lined up, fortunately. Um, so, yeah, I went to South End for a bit. But again, just like being released at Chelsea at 19, your kind of heart is not quite in it. So I went to South End and I didn't perform how I could do. I was coming back from an injury. I wasn't fit enough, so I didn't quite perform as well as I should. Um, and during that period, um, I, I wasn't playing at South End. Uh, I got picked up by Exeter. And that's what brought you down to dear old Devon. Indeed, yeah, as fate would have it and ended up falling in love with the place somehow and, and, and meeting some amazing people along the way as yourself, Matt, and uh, we've ended up you know, living down here. Yeah, they're definitely worse places to live, that's for sure. Um, so that, that, that resilience there, and you, you touched on it earlier on, actually, with talking about your friends and your family. It's so important to have that around you. But those mates, I mean, for me, you're you're... I don't know, you're a little bit old school, I suppose. and But it's nice to hear someone in your position, because let's face it, you know, people look up to you. You've been a, you've been a footballer. There's a, a position of, uh, of of respect that people will give you automatically because you got paid to play football. Yeah. Um, your friends that were there for you in that tough time, I mean, you're still in touch with those friends today. I mean, how important are those relationships to you? Oh, massively important. I mean, obviously, you, you kind of lose touch slightly. You don't talk or see each other as regularly as you used to because, you, you know, we've all got families. We live in mm -hmm. all parts of the country, all parts of the world now. So, yeah, you do lose touch a bit. But, you know, those old school friendships, and, and I've known them, most of them, since primary school. Um, yeah. You know, you could, I haven't seen them for over a year now, but we could meet up next week as if nothing had happened, you know, as if you would not been a part at all. So it's, I, I think to, to men, I think, you know, and to women as well, friendships are so important. They really do. They get you through um, so much um, that perhaps, you know, your parents or your family couldn't, you know, couldn't quite understand and get you through. Mates are, are so important. Um, and they, yeah, they were amazing because some of my mates have been through the same. They've been released from pro clubs as well. So they were in, some of them are in the same boat. So you kind of just support each other. And ultimately, we were 18, 19, just out to have a laugh as well, you know. You go and play six aside on a Thursday night, you have a few beers after, you go searching for a night out that night because you're jobless. <laughs> so you haven't got, you know, you're, you're living at home with your parents, you haven't got much responsibility other than that. So, you know, we just had a, had a great time, a great summer. So, yeah, vi vitally important. 
But even at that age, so late teens, early 20s, you and your mates were really looking out for each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and we still do now, you know, my mates, um, when we talk now, checking up and see how everyone is and you can kind of tell whether they're having a bit of a tough time and, um, you know, you've got different mates for different things, haven't you? You might have a mate that's just total fun, doesn't take life seriously, would never dream of talking about their feelings and just rib each other. So you've got mm-hmm. like the fun time mates, but then you've got the sensitive mates that, that um, need to talk and do talk that you you have different conversations with. So it's that, I guess it's that variety of mates as well that is really important because you need kind of different people at different moments in your life, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. But I expect that fun time, mate, is going to need to reach out at some point in the future. And, you know, I don't doubt for one second you're going to be there for him, but that's going to be a very different conversation, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but that kind of the and, I, and I, you know I think we've all got those mates in the back of your mind who you're thinking of the fun time mates they they very rarely show any vulnerability at all mm. um, and they find it very uncomfortable to talk about their feelings and be open about it so um, yeah you just kind of just have to be there and if they want to speak to you about it you can probe when you talk to them on the on the phone especially when you get we're getting a bit older you have kids you become more sensitive you become more open. Uh, and just becoming older as well, I think, without having kids, you, you become more um, vulnerable and comfortable in your skin and com- more comfortable talking about your feelings. And, yeah, that comes. But, yeah, it's just, um, I guess, just judging how your mates are and being there when you can and offering that support if they need it. Yeah. I mean, the vulnerability is a key thing for me um, because, you know, being able to judge the friend that you can open up to and he may... Uh, he may, you know, he may take the piss out of you, but I, I know that the friends that take the piss out of me are the ones that love me the most. And, uh, you know, if you if you stop taking the piss out of me, then I know there's something wrong, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult with, with men, and it's getting so much better. You know, you kind of hope that the next generation of, of men coming through find it more comfortable talking about their feelings. But um, especially kind of old school men, and I'm thinking about, you know, certain members of my family that have found it hard to talk about their feelings and talk about to, to, to be vulnerable. Because um, mm. you know what it's like when you meet up with a group of blokes. It's just about ribbing each other, having a laugh, having a few beers, talking about football, all jovial. And very rarely do you have moments of vulnerability or talking about your feelings. Uh, that's more That happens more when you kind of meet up one-to-one with with your mates you know not within a group but um you know I, i'd like to think that the next generation of men coming through will will be more open yeah I, 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 let's hope so let's hope so because you know i'm a, i'm a, i've got a few years on you pat i'm a little bit older and i still what one or two <laughs> about at least 10 and uh, <laughs> i look around at my peers and and some of them are like they're emotionally constipated yeah. and I just want to get hold of them, shake them and say, look, fella, if you need to talk to someone, you know, yeah. I am definitely here for you. Uh, but like you say, it's those, those social situations. So I'm going to take you back into football for a second yeah. and about that, that changing room situation. Now I'm, I'm not going to ever, ever compare myself to your level of football, but I played football for 20 years socially uh, and my favorite part of football was the changing room. The thing is, the thing is, mate, I mean, you say that you can't ever compare to our level. In terms of standard, perhaps not. I mean, that's obvious, but the changing rooms, no, and I, and I don't mean that in a, in, a, in a negative sense. I really don't. I wish you but, did. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that the changing rooms won't, won't be any different 
probably even better uh, kind of when you're playing with your mates because you're taking yeah. it less seriously, you know? Yeah. When you've got all the attention, you've got the pressure of playing as a pro f- professional football player, that may or may not, I don't know, um, um, hinder changing rooms. Whereas if you're playing, because I've sampled both sides, I've played, you know, I play for a Vets team now. It is different. That kind of is so much more relaxed and it's more enjoyable. So um, the import, yeah, the changing room is, is it's an amazing place. Yeah, I used to remember we we would finish playing. We we were ten thirty kick off Sunday mornings mainly, and then we'd be at the pub afterwards. And you would just kind of split into different groups, and there'd be some guys at the bar propping it up, drinking like fish and having a chuckle. And there'd be a couple parked away in the corner, and they'd be you know going a little bit deeper. And it's it's those what for me. And I, again, I want to ask you for me, a happy changing room was a successful team on the pitch as well. Yeah, and absolutely. that 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 must transpire into professional sports, surely. If you, if you look at any successful team, um, I guarantee that their changing room is the best changing room. It's the, it's the mm. most harmonious. Um, it's the where everyone gets on really well. Um, there isn't any bad eggs within that changing room. Um, it's just, it's just the, the well-run changing rooms that are the most successful. No doubt about that. If you look at, if I, if I look into my career now, um, I did have many promotions. Well, I only had one promotion within my time, and had you know two or three very successful, in t- you know, my career, um, successful seasons. And they were just the changing rooms were amazing, and I'm still in touch with those changing rooms um, today. You know, um, really, yeah, absolutely, and yeah, it's um, it makes such a difference. And that, I mean that pulls over, and I'm going to use the the corporate example. You know, when you've got a, a harmonious team together in the corporate world, and I imagine it's probably the same in your staff room at work. If that is a harmonious staff room, then the school's probably going to be a well-run place, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, how well a place is run that you, that that filters down, doesn't it? And it, it's it's not just um, uh, football. It's in it's the same in any industry, like you just alluded to there. It's the same in any industry. If it's well run and everyone is getting on, that will be a successful business, no doubt about it. And and the ones that are not well run, where there's lack of respect, um, and when there is a little bit of um, stress and tension, then people revert back to kind of a, a negative um, communication, and and that again makes has a negative impact, doesn't it? So, yeah, it is vitally important to any any industry. So again, I'm just going to switch tack a little bit here, uh, and you've alluded to the the fantastic Alex, Mrs. Baldwin, uh, your rock at home, yeah, who absolutely. has moved all over the place with you, and and you know you are, I was going to say you're paying it back, you, you're not paying it back, but you've settled. I'm sure she's settled and very happy in Devon as well. Yeah. But that that relationship that you have with your wife, and you know, I'm going to pry a little bit and tell me to to shut up and mind my own business. But you know, how important is that? So you've got a good relationship with the fellows at work, you come home. Have you always been able to and, and been able to chat to Alex about absolutely everything? Or was there some stuff that you could only talk to your mates about? That's a really good question. Really good question. I would say that um, there's, yeah, most things I could talk to Alex about. Absolutely. Um, I'd say, yeah, pretty much everything. Um, I've been really lucky. She's, she's a very, very um, amazing person. She's, and it's a bit, you know, you may think that it's cringy or whatever, but she is like my best mate, you know, that, that from the offset. And it's not cringy at all, pal. The reason why we've been together so long, I guess, is because we are, we're best mates. We got on like a house on fire from day one. Um, we used to spend hours on the phone every night, you know, when we were apart. So 
it makes a big difference. And and yeah, like you said, she's been completely completely my rock. She always has been, always will be. Um, yeah, there's obviously there's kind of boisterous behaviour that you have with your mates. I guess, and you can act like a bit bit more of a donut with your mates. I guess mm-hmm. yeah. rather than in front of your wife because she'll just you know tell you you're an idiot. <laughs> Um, I can see the look that she'd give you right now. Exactly, I've had it plenty yeah. of times. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and, and yeah, there's there's certain things you could do with your mates that you perhaps couldn't act like at home because you know it, it would be stupid. But you need, I think, you need that rela- um, that release, and I think it's the same yeah. for for your wife as well. You you kind of hope that there's certain things that she could, you know, go and do and let her hair down with her mates that perhaps she wouldn't do when she's with you. So. It's just down to trust, isn't it? You know, you can, as long as you're doing the right thing when you're away and just having a laugh, then everything's fine, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and that's something that I'm really big on with the whole Who Needs Instructions community is that you absolutely need to be able to talk to your mates. You absolutely have to have the piss taken out of you and take the piss out of your mates as well. But you do need that little bit of space. You do need to be able to step away from, from life. You need to stop adulting once in a while. And I think that's what men aren't as good at as women i'm not saying for one second that women get uh, get more free time than men it is the absolute opposite especially when it comes to childcare. i know it but you know that ability to spend maybe one hour a week with a pal or with your mates having a game of pool going for a walk having a swim kicking a ball around the park whatever it is just so you can have that little bit of a release and be go back to your childhood and then, okay, right. That's been great. Cheers. Nice to catch up with you. Now it's time to go back into the proper world. We all need that release. And I think it's vital that we, that we, we maintain that. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, like you said, but men are worse at kind of arranging things like that, aren't they? And organizing Mm -hmm. things like that. We're, we're terrible at making the effort to go and see a mate. But like you said, I think it is vitally important. You do need the release. And it's the same with, with um, you know um, women as well, they need the release. They need to go away and get away from the kids and find you know find time for themselves. It's really really important, and I think um, it is something that you do need to make more of an effort for for men um, for their for for your own sanity, your own mental health. Because yeah. more so than ever now, from what we've just got, all gone through and going through with this lockdown period. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be more vital than ever to to be able to just get away, um, reset. I see it as resetting. You're kind of you're mm-hmm. going 100 miles an hour, whether it's your job, whether it's your job and your family, whatever it is, life just seems to be going at 100 miles an hour. And you need to step off that juggernaut and, and just have a bit of time to yourself just to relax and reset. And I, I find myself, you know, because I am – pushing forward with this community and I want to make sure that uh, you know it grows and men realize men realize that it's okay to you know be empathetic to be in touch with their feelings and to want to hang out with their mates and spend time with them and, and, and reach out and ask questions of them as well yeah um, but but, they, but be there with an ear at the same time I think you're completely right I think men I think and it comes from probably experiences throughout a man's life you know from childhood you can trace it back all the way to childhood where you're getting ribbed by other blokes other mm. kids in a playground or at secondary school, you know, you just get ribbed and you think that people would just think you're a bit, I think it's weakness as well. Men are scared to show any weakness. There's nothing wrong with showing weakness, you know, as a man, it doesn't make you weak. You know, so I say weakness, I mean, a vulnerability. It, yeah, doesn't make, yeah. it doesn't make you weak. If it is something that you need to do to make yourself feel better, to talk about your situation, because there's no doubt in you know in my mind being a primary school teacher 
because I've looked a lot into this and mental health and everything, talking about your problems to whoever it is makes a difference to how you feel. It makes you feel better. It's a fact. And men with, you know, with the suicide rates of men compared to women, um, it makes a huge difference, doesn't it? And, and it's vitally important that men do start talking. I couldn't agree more, Pat. I really couldn't. I mean, you'll get no argument from me. Uh, what I, and the the difficulty I'm finding now, and you know, this is a big question, and it, the aim of who needs instructions is to try and answer it. Is to how to help the guys who are emotionally unable to kind of reach out to their mates. Um, the point I was going to make just a minute ago was about I've now set myself up as the social secretary, so I will make an effort to get my mates together. Um, because mainly it helps me, but I absolutely guarantee that by me doing it, it's helping them at the same time. Absolutely, um, yeah. So, so we need to swallow our pride a little bit more. We need to reach out and we need to say, fellas, look, we haven't got together in a while. Let's have an hour on a Zoom. Let's have half an hour on a Zoom. If that's all you can spare, just to get together, yeah. take the mickey out of each other. Tell us how bad your hair is, how bad your dress sense is, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we'll see where the conversation goes, but just have that little bit of release. So, you know, my, my advice to men out there, and I know this is me interviewing you, but I wanted to just say that, you know, just reach out to the, to your, to your mates and, you know, be the guy that says, look, chaps, we haven't got together for a while. We need to sort this one out. And they'll be glad that you did it. hundred uh, percent. Of course they will. They'll come off that call um, better than they were before the call, you know? But one thing I would say is that, um, you know, those that are kind of emotionally, um, unreachable at times you know you don't it's great to talk to mates because you've got already, already got that trust there but if you're not quite comfortable doing that there is help out there you could go and talk to a complete stranger just to get things off your chest who are qualified to listen to give you good advice you know there's yeah, I don't think yeah. um, men especially you know realize that there is support out there you know there is tons of, of um, you know charity organizations you could call it's that bottling up of, of emotions, bottling up of problems is, is what is what is is you know detrimental to, to, to bad mental health because the worst thing you can do is let things build. You know, every tiny problem built upon each other, if it's not released, if you're not talked about it, um, it's gonna eventually explode, isn't it? It's like a shaking of a of a Coca Cola bottle. You mm-hmm. shake it up of all the problems that you got and then all of a sudden you undo the lid, it's gonna explode. So it's um it's just about avoiding that and, and just, just talking, just talk to anybody, your mates um, or a specialist, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the people that I um, I'm happy to signpost men to who want to have those conversations are the likes of um, Andy's man's club. I mean, that's a great organization who are getting men talking about their mental health issues and I, you can't put a figure on it, but those guys are literally saving people's lives. Absolutely. And it's, yeah. And it, that is the most important thing. Absolutely, absolutely, and yeah, there's there's tons of organisations out there. I mean, I've got I've got tons that I could you know signpost you to. Um, there are loads, and, and like you said, it's for those that that don't feel comfortable talking to their mates. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, the first thing you should go to is your mates. You know, like you said, swallow that pride. Um, what's the worst that can happen? You know what I mean? There's if they if they're your true mates, they would stop the Mickey taking and they would listen. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I've no doubt that anybody with mates, their mates would listen if they if, if they knew that it was serious enough. 
absolutely. Listen, Pat, I think that's great. I, I think, you know, we've we've kind of ended it on a fairly serious note, but let's be honest, the message I'm getting across is fairly serious. But at the same time, we can all take the piss out of each other. Absolutely, and mate. Absolutely. You're not, you know, you're not a friend, you're not a true friend until you've taught me a new one, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I see you, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you a new one then, Matt. Don't worry. I look forward to it, mate. Yeah. And I, I, I haven't taken that in the wrong really, way. It did say, really. really weird, didn't it? <laughs> I really won't, mate. <laughs> mate, I'm going to tear you a new one. <laughs> Take it how you will, mate. I don't care. <laughs> Pat, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your honesty, your candor. I mean, I knew you'd be, you know, you'd be open. And again, for any guys out there that just, you know, look, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit, Pat. But look at Pat. You know, he's, he's had a professional footballing career. He's made quite a drastic change in career to a primary school teacher, and he's done that to look after his family, his wife, his boys, um, and he's absolutely happy to be here chatting and be open and vulnerable. Pat, I really appreciate it today, mate. You're a star. Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure. Anything for you, Matt. And uh, yeah, let me know if, if there's anything else you need me doing. Um, I'll gladly uh, participate in anything, mate. It's good to You're talk good to you and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Who Needs Instructions podcast. We release a new episode every week, so make sure to subscribe and we'll speak to you again soon.